0: Today's gonna be so much fun. I know. Oh my gosh, it was just the best. So exciting, Doctor Downing, who I think is gonna it's gonna rise to the cream of the crop. All of our doctors who've been on have been just Amazing. slam dunks. I know she's um, special
1: because she's also our friend, and I think you could tell that like yeah. we've been friends forever because we're just also the
0: energy. was really strong in the room, and we're talking about anesthesia. You guys going to sleep going to sleep enjoying your surgical procedures arguably the most important part about having surgery
1: i would say there's only one form of anesthesia and it's profound
0: <laughs> profound anesthesia yeah
1: i had an instructor in dental school that's what he he's
0: i just got confused <laughs> i'm like
1: what? and the
0: whole study of anesthesia is profound honestly to it's, me
1: it's profound on many levels yeah
0: Um, And Dr. Downing is just the best of the best. So you are hearing the 411 on what's going to happen when you have surgery, what's going to happen when you have procedures in an office, what are they really doing when you have a colonoscopy, why you feel a little weird afterwards. It's not for the reason you think. Right. Please enjoy Dr. Michelle Elizabeth Downing.
1: What do a dentist and a gynecologist have in
0: common? Beyond Our Lips, a podcast where best friends and practicing doctor moms use their gift of gab and professional passions to entertain, educate, and inspire. Hey, oh, on, buddy! We have our youngest visitor ever today. Oh, wow. An avid listener, I'm sure. Oh, yes. Yeah, if Baby not a future listener. Baby David and his mom, who is Michelle Elizabeth Downing, doctor. Michelle Elizabeth Downing, anesthesiologist extraordinaire, special training in cardiovascular thoracic stuff. She's basically a really high-tech, experienced, educated sandman, bringing you dreams. Yeah, that's what it is. Welcome.
2: Thanks for having me. She's also <laughs> great to see one y'all. of our BFFs.
1: I was going to say, yeah. AKA, AKA, one of the original yeah, four the original college. College. We're so happy. Yay. Mm-hmm
0: absolutely we're glad to be here and the only reason she has time to be with us because she's so busy and important is because she took a second to be otherwise busy and important with a newborn living that newborn life absolutely
2: five weeks tomorrow so he's rocking
0: along and he's here guys so if you hear sweet baby coos we might just turn this off and pause for 30 (laughs) minutes just to (laughs) love on him so although he's been so sweet so far
1: He's five, good at weeks is, you. five weeks is tricky to me. Six weeks is like the peak of the insanity, a little bit, and then it starts to usually get better. I'm I'm also, I feel like so eight to weeks that. you
0: have some sort of organization to your madness at eight weeks. That'd be fantastic. We're working on a schedule. We're for making all, of us. all this up, yeah, <laughs> and we're just going by what we remember. I'll we're even take it false up. hope. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> works it for me. Placebo. So anesthesiology, we're going to talk a lot about that today. So this is a great episode if you have ever been put to sleep for a procedure, if you have ever had a block of any kind for when you had a procedure, if you've ever had an epidural or spinal during childbirth, if you know anyone who's going to do that, if that is something that you're interested in or want to know more about because of yourself or family members or friends, today is your day. Absolutely. So exciting. Um, and for those of you who watched last week, we just brought it full circle with the Tori's.
1: That's right. We just had a real a crossover moment. It's really like a multi-crossover mo- moment where um, we talked about intubation, sometimes aggravating mm-hmm. Tori, and that's how people can realize that they have them for the first time. So we were just discussing that, and Dr. Michelle was just telling us that she Sometimes we'll give her patients a heads up about that, which I super appreciate because then that saves the, oh my God, what is this thing in my mouth conversation that I usually get.
2: Absolutely. Because on multiple different procedures, there are different airway equipment we have to put into the mouth and some of it does tend to press on the upper part of the mouth and so now when I do my airway exam if I see a prominent torus or tori I kind of let my patients know like you might be more likely to be sore than your you know, mm-hmm. next door neighbor here in the pre-op area so it just gives them a little heads up Know have you ever there.
1: seen some of the gnarly big ones, like, around the lower? Yeah. Have you ever noticed the ones Not on lower Not the lower, the lower
2: ones, because really we don't put anything down there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really the upper, because we're either, like you said, intubating or putting in a breathing tube, or a little breathing mask that sits behind the tongue, or there are oral airways that are like a hard plastic, and that can really aggravate. Um, but some people even have trouble with, like, the bite blocks they use to do an yeah. endoscopy procedure, and that's to protect your teeth from the scope going down. So people who get an EGD or esophagogastrodiagnoscopy to look at for, like, reflux or gastric ulcers or bleeding, that kind of thing, Um, the bite block, if it extends far enough, can aggravate it as well. So
1: So you think, because I'm still thinking of that one patient, and his his was actually on the lower, so I'm uh wondering if the bite block, does it go kind of down into the floor of the mouth, like on either side of the tongue, or no?
2: The um, one for EGD does. It's kind of like a hard plastic that sits in front of the upper and lower teeth. Um, to protect them, okay. and then there's a piece that extends back between the teeth to protect the teeth from the scope going down. So it, I guess if it was really anterior towards the front yep. of the mouth, it could have rubbed.
1: And some of them are, I mean, huge, huge. So like you think. would not – we're on tori still. <laughs> we're still talking about tori. Huge We can't torile. get over it. Now I will say some <laughs> of the upper tori can get looking a little bit like other body parts, but Ooh. we will not get into that exactly. Huge. Um, So, yeah, that's interesting because I've actually had a couple of patients over the years, too, to claim that, you know, and and I think it's true because they wake up with like a chipped tooth or a broken tooth, but that they get put to sleep and they wake up and a a tooth is chipped or broken or a partial denture will get damaged or something if they don't know to take it out first and stuff like that so
2: yeah that's definitely a part of like all my pre-op consents is Mm -hmm. letting patients know that dental damage or dislodgement especially in poor condition teeth or teeth that have been repaired in any way like I ask about caps and crowns ask about dentures and partials because all of those things that can be removed should be removed if we're Mm -hmm. going in the mouth um, and then let them know that anything that's glued on is more likely to come out than what God gave them so that's sort of my spiel.
1: I have found not a ton of knowledge by a lot of doctors about teeth, and I don't mean—I'm sure you guys. I mean, you guys know more than the average. There's thing, no teeth I'm in the actually, vagina. <laughs> if everything's going properly, um, uh, I am actually basing that on my brother, who knows absolutely nothing. He's a urologist. There's and knows no nothing teeth about teeth
0: in the penis. <laughs> Although I will say True. there's sometimes teeth inside a type of
2: ovarian cyst called a dermoid.
1: That's right. And the um, teratoma, is that Yeah, young? I was thinking that teratomas. Has, yeah, that has that grows teeth. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah other like, than
2: anesthesiologists and maybe ENT, OMFS, your yeah. the facial surgeons that are both dentists and physicians. Absolutely. There's a crossover there. But yeah, you're right. Most of us do not deal with the teeth at often. Do, it's
1: like, do y'all have like... A chapter in a book somewhere in medical
0: school about teeth? Oh yeah,
2: so we learned about it way back when. Probably.
0: <laughs> oh, clearly it made a huge impact <laughs> on you guys. I mean, probably <laughs> where it said something like it's the gateway to all your health of any kind because yeah. you can get infections through your mouth and then that can go to your like heart basic that
1: anatomy or like right.
0: restoration. Oh, for or sure. At like one point, I happen. knew how many teeth we had as an adult. Yeah. Yes, we learned that once
2: upon a time which and would the dentist. Okay,
1: you have um, wisdom teeth. We're if, helping which, your trivia. If you don't, it's twenty-eight. <laughs> If anyone wants to know, and twenty baby teeth. Okay. There are supernumerary teeth, and there are other you know things like that, but they're not exciting. Who are we kidding?
0: Teeth are so exciting, are they? Yeah, I think so. Okay. You know what else is exciting? Not being awake during surgery. (laughs) (laughs) And epidurals. And epidurals. And IV sedation. Amen. And Mm -hmm. IV sedation. Yes. Conscious Conscious sedation. sedation. I mean, everything you do is kind of exciting. If we focus in on like a full quote-unquote go-to-sleep procedure because that's what I know and that's layman's version. That is something else breathing for you while we give you
2: drugs to make you asleep. Give us a scoop. It can be. So I think you're talking about like a general anesthetic, which means that patients don't move to a surgical stimulus. And that's usually what you're looking for because you're performing some sort of surgery or procedure on a patient. Let's pretend you're having a hysterectomy.
0: Yes. You do not wish to know I'm doing anything.
2: Yes. So most of the time that means general anesthetic. Which can either be with a machine breathing for you or not. We always put the patient on the machine because usually we are giving the anesthesia gases through it. Uh But sometimes if we just do what we call the LMA or the laryngeal mask airway, it just sits behind the tongue and the patient's breathing on their own. So let's say you're doing a quick vaginal procedure or something that you think will only be five to ten minutes. I'm going to go with...
0: Excision of vulvar cyst.
2: Yeah. And that'd be a great procedure where if the patient is an appropriate candidate for an LMA, um, they can just breathe on their own, just breathe the anesthesia gases, and we just slip it in, slip it out at the end, and they are... Awake and ready to go to pack you a lot faster. Oh, so that's nice room. for recovery. It is, yeah, mm-hmm. it can be. Um, but then the other type for like a hysterectomy, we yep. go all the way asleep, and we usually give a muscle relaxant. And in that case, then mm. the patient is definitely on the ventilator, and we're breathing for them.
0: Yeah, in a nerdy way too, that sometimes helps me out because everything's
2: relaxed, that's and right. therefore movement inside their body and outside their body is easier for them and me. Yes, yes, visuals. you get full muscle relaxation. It's not going to do the smooth muscles. So a lot of times people will be like, "Well, their bowels are moving." It's like, "Well, that's a different muscle. It doesn't block there." Um, mm-hmm. But we're talking about skeletal muscle. I feel movement. like when
0: their bowels are moving, moving, and it's bothersome, it's probably their accessory muscles are then moving, pushing. Yeah, the accessory yeah. muscles yeah. can yeah. for can sure. That, that yeah. makes sense, but not
2: like peristalsis of the bowels or the bowels just. And are doing there their like thing.
0: multiple different medications that you use depending on other people? The people's medical problems.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Every I always say that everyone's medical problems all become my problem for the time (laughs) that I'm taking care of them, and so we certainly adjust things based on like kidney or liver function, uh, cardiac function. Um, and then any kind of medical history, so especially family medical history, the one that they always put on the TV shows is malignant hyperthermia. Yep. So in those cases we exclude certain drugs and our anesthesia gases. So we do things a little differently for that. So yeah, we're always adjusting things to try to make it the safest and best outcome for the patient. So it's important for them to be really, really honest about their medical history, medical problems, family history of medical problems, that sort of thing so that you can individualize. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. And we want to get a really good history on anesthesia problems in their family or their personal experience because sometimes patients can tell me I get really nauseated after anesthesia. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I can tell from the chart or if they've had their procedure done elsewhere. I'm just kind of guessing on what they may have had medication wise. But we can make some adjustments to try to help have a better experience this time around.
0: I think everybody can have a name into that because the last thing you need is to get your gallbladder out and then be nauseated for. You know, a day and a half trying to get the anesthesia out of your system.
2: Well, the anesthesia, really, that's a common misconception. Oh, good. I'm so glad I baited you. (laughs) It's gone fairly quickly. I mean, all your anesthesia gases are off within a matter of minutes, um, usually less than an hour. you breathe them
0: off in their Yeah, you just breathe them off.
2: We just turn off the anesthetic gases, and you just breathe them off. Um, And so most of the, quote, unquote, anesthesia is gone within an hour or a few hours. So most commonly, if patients are complaining of nausea later, Mm -hmm. um, it's from opioids or your pain Mm -hmm. medicines. So things like morphine, dilaudid, fentanyl that kind of stuff so
0: which we commonly um, give because you're gonna have pain usually
2: absolutely or do
0: when you wake up and you're like pain oh, yeah
2: so if they're not nauseated the day of surgery but the next day it's probably from the opioids if they're nauseated that day it's probably multifactorial because we use opioids with our anesthesia gases so I love them. what about yeah, that so grogginess
1: that is that just still the anesthesia wearing off then like what if you're still groggy like I had a minor procedure recently and I couldn't I feel like I could not shake it like everybody was like aren't you ready to leave recovery and i'm like i'm really not like i would like i could not get it together, like my head was really swimmy and it was felt like
2: for hours. Yeah, it felt like you had your head in a paint can. <laughs> that's what I heard it yeah. described one time. Mm-hmm. So part of it's the fumes, you know, the anesthesia gases. Yeah. Um, so, But those do come off fairly quickly, but they can mm-hmm. have a residual effect. And then okay. depending on what other medications you had. So if you had Versed, that's going to make you feel, because um, it's a benzodiazepine, kind of like a Valium or something that can make you feel groggy or foggy in the head. Um, any of the pain medicines you got, or if you were yeah. nauseated and got something like Phenergan that's really Sedating, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, then that can make you feel groggy as well. So it's it's, it's
1: like multiple. you take one thing to tackle one issue, like the pain, mm-hmm. and then that causes the nausea. So then you take something with the nausea. Then you're groggy. Then you try yeah. to take something. You're chasing after everything. So that's kind of why sometimes less is more.
2: Yes, that can be the experience sometimes for yeah. sure. And we've seen a lot of developments recently in trying to reduce the amount of opioids. Mm-hmm. You know, that's been in the mm-hmm. um, news a lot. Is about. Um, opioid deaths and everything yeah, how people and abuse them people yeah. abuse yeah. them or get hooked on them and so really trying to reduce the opioids things like your physician may prescribe like Tylenol or Celebrex or Gabapentins mm-hmm. or something like that ahead of time um, to try to reduce the amount of opioids so you don't get into that cycle
1: yeah right I think um, we have to do um, opioid training as part mm-hmm. of our recertification or CE and Alabama is definitely up, still up there with the prescriptions on opioids so whether we're just so, whether as, as physicians, we're just so trained to our patients wanting them and needing them and knowing that, like, when they get them, they're going to be kind of out, you know, check that one off the list. Or whether it is demand by the patients or whether, you know, I'm not really sure why, but it seems like we, what I heard from my last um, webinar that I did was that we are still kind of lagging and sort right. of controlling that a little bit. Yeah, and you
2: can really can almost eliminate them sometimes with like regional anesthesia. So like you do a regional when you Mm do um, a cavity, basically, is you're blocking the nerve that's going to the tooth and you work on the tooth. So by that method, you're able to exclude it completely. And we're able to do that for surgeries and procedures, for some of them, because you can block the nerves, go into the arm and do a Mm -hmm. fracture repair, for instance, or epidural or a spinal Mm -hmm. to do a C-section or to have any surgery that's kind of below the waist. So a lot of times we'll do that for, like, knee and hip replacements Mm -hmm. or fractures of the lower part of the body. So you're really able to adapt things a lot better, and your anesthesiologist can help you have a better experience if you let them know if you have those side effects. I
1: always wonder, too, like, um, when you – under general anesthesia, do you still have to locally numb or regionally numb the area? Like, I know that that seems like such a
0: basic Not question. Usually, like, it depends on what your intention is. So sometimes they will for post operative pain management because you can place numbing medicine or whatever that lasts a long time, has a long right. half life, so you'll have in less there, of that immediate like pain when you wake up. Yeah. Other times we'll use things like a numbing medicine with something to constrict blood vessels to help us with bleeding control. Yeah. Because then that can help us temporarily there.
2: Yeah. And then I'll just add to that. So our anesthesia gases, we'd have to turn on more gas for the patient not to move to incision. But if you numb up where you're about to do the incision, Mm -hmm. then they're less likely to move. And so you don't have to have as much anesthesia gases. So a patient who's really old or frail or their blood pressure is really low and we can barely turn on any of our anesthesia gases. We're really grateful to our surgeons when we say, hey, if you'll inject a lot of local, I think they'll have a better experience mm-hmm. for you and for the patient. So it, it can augment the anesthetic by doing some local with the general.
0: Okay. I've always wondered that. Yeah. Give, this is off topic. Give us a skinny on how you <laughs> responded to, like, a very famous person who took anesthetics at home.
2: Well, I don't hear it as much anymore, but I did a lot in my training right after. Michael Schmack. Um,
1: yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> fall. Yeah.
2: Right after that event. My usual sort of quippy thing to say is that you were with an anesthesiologist (laughs) today and we aren't giving it to you in your kitchen and walking away.
0: Correct. Correct.
2: So um, to that end, though, I always tell patients that we do fully respect all of our anesthetic drugs, and though our monitoring has made things very safe over the years, we fully respect that, you know, we are taking their lives Mm -hmm. into our hands, Mm -hmm. and we have full monitoring of heart rate, blood pressure, oxygenation, and ventilation, and we're there the whole time to monitor them. So I respect propofol Mm -hmm. greatly, but it is a wonderful, wonderful drug. It's
0: a very good drug in the right setting with a competent credentialed you got it. A physiologist. Okay. You that got makes it. Absolutely. sense. Absolutely. Got it. I have
1: patients sometimes that. They still bring it up. <laughs> yeah. No, that is a, a, that's a hot then. topic mm-hmm. for sure. I have patients sometimes that they want an extraction, and I talk to them about IV sedation, which mm-hmm. is, of course, a lesser. We can go through what an IV sedation entails. But I have a few who are like, they refuse. They're adamant. They think they're not going to wake up. Like, I feel like that's maybe a common misconception or or a conception. I don't know, right or wrong. But, like, young, healthy person and just has, like, an irrational fear that if I get put to sleep, I'm not going to wake up.
2: Yeah, I. A lot of people are scared of that. I'm going to be put asleep not to sleep, not wake up. That would be really, 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 really rare. Yeah. Um. And usually there's something else going on. So the yeah. patient was just in a massive trauma, for instance, of a car accident or something else, um, that went awry during An the procedure. Unknown medical problem. Yes. that Responded inappropriately to what you were doing. Yeah, but I, that really, I it doesn't really happen. It would have yeah. to be an unrecognized massive complication. I do think it's um, an irrational fear for IV sure. sedation. My only concern is sometimes that is done of course, without anesthesiologist, And mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. um, There are different levels of sedation. So when we do sedation, we call it MAC or monitored anesthesia care. And there are different levels. So you can have mild, moderate, or deep sedation. And so where you run into trouble or where people can run into trouble with sedation is not recognizing when the patient has progressed from mild to moderate or moderate Mm -hmm. to deep. And they might require, for instance, airway intervention, and that's not pursued in a timely manner. And that's where things can go awry. So if people are in especially outpatient offices or things that are Mm -hmm. not with the medical equipment and the credentialed folks to do it, um, it can be a dangerous situation. So I fully respect IV sedation just as much. And sometimes we say that can be harder than a general.
1: Yeah, because you don't
2: have the backup of the airway. That's right. Yeah, you don't have that breathing tube and necessarily the ventilator right there. Yeah, that's true.
0: It's serious stuff, man. That's very tricky. That's really hard. And What is a patient to look for if her or his doctor said they're going to give them some anesthesia in
2: the office? What are the questions that they should ask? I would ask who's responsible for giving the anesthesia, the medications, Mm -hmm. and then who's going to be monitoring. Because Mm -hmm. what they've really found is like one person needs to be doing the procedure itself while someone else needs to be fully committed with their attention to -hmm. the patient, not off grabbing a piece of equipment Or assisting the procedure in some way. So you really want to make sure that you have multiple people keeping an eye out on all the different parts of the procedure. Because
0: we want to arm our listeners with the power of the right questions to ask so that they can avoid if it's not a safe situation. So who is monitoring my anesthesia specifically?
2: Yes. And... And then what? Um, how they're set up? Do they have all the monitoring equipment right. available mm-hmm. to monitor things like heart rate and pulse blood socks. pressure? Do they have? Yeah. Do they have a pulse ox? Is there oxygen in the facility? Do they have emergency airway equipment? These would like all be thing. things to ask. Yes, yeah, definitely. Know who's. Who is doing it and then what is their preparedness? And
0: offhand, I don't know 100% who all does these kind of procedures with anesthesia in offices, but like things to be mindful of are probably plastics procedures, I would guess, would do a lot of stuff in their office. Some of them will have an anesthesia team which we hope will include an anesthesiologist with them. And then probably some dental procedures. Yeah.
1: So I would say oral surgeons, generally speaking, you're going to sometimes periodontists for like implant placements, but implant placements, extractions, any kind of gum surgery, or any kind of, um, or some oral surgery procedures. Now, some oral surgery procedures will take place in a full um, OR. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these places, and I think this is what you're talking about too, they have a surgical suite equipped in their office. Mm-hmm. So with the equipment and with, you know, the infrastructure and then I know with pediatric procedures sometimes you can there are various forms of sedation and I know some pediatric dentists they're, they're kind of it's evolving they'll they'll take them to the OR and then there are some pediatric dentists out there who do nothing but OR um, patients and mm-hmm. so they're certified at the hospital and they do their cases under um, general anesthesia. Some that do IV sedation in the office and bring in an anest- i don't know if it's an anesthesiologist or a CRNA to be honest, but I think it's an anesthesiologist. I guess it depends on the practice, but um, bring them in to help monitor because I think with kids it's a whole another level.
2: Yeah, especially with children, you really want to look for a pediatric anesthesiologist to be mm-hmm. monitoring your. Um, child because they can get into trouble very quickly. These are your
0: babies. Yes, so that would be
2: the case where I'd be really adamant to make sure Mm -hmm. that there is a pediatric anesthesiologist taking care of my child. That's Mm -hmm.
1: one of those tough things though because if it's something that needs to be done, it's weighing the option of the heavy duty general anesthesia OR appointment, which is just stressful for the whole entire family and maybe sometimes more likely to have them not opt not to do anything, which is obviously dangerous for the child. And then there's these lesser forms of sedation out there that, you know, may be more accessible, maybe more like, okay, I think that's something we can do. We're in the office. It's just an IV, whatever, but, um, but also sometimes can be more dangerous. So that'd be an important time I think too, to ask who's here monitoring you know, my child when it comes to the sedation. but
0: Yeah, I love that question. Without talking like we do candidly, I wouldn't know to ask those questions, Mm -hmm. you know. If I just went in and they said he needs this, then I'd be like, cool, when are we setting it up? And it wouldn't dawn on me to really kind of – just a couple questions could probably weed out some problems. Absolutely, Mm -hmm. yes. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, and I think
0: pediatric – Just as far as dentistry goes, pediatric
1: dentists can be really, really good with nitrous and just good old-fashioned distraction,
0: which is what I use all the
1: time. My
0: neighbor's kid (laughs) came home one day. She was like, I'm sorry. He's a little out of it. He has has some teeth removed. And then she texted me a picture, six teeth, like half his mouth is in a bag. And that kid is, I'm like, what did they do to him? She was like, I don't just some gas. He's okay. And he was playing his little screen, and I was like, well. Well keep him calm. Like
1: Huh If you don't if you don't present it as a traumatic thing to a child, then mm. they don't know to even be traumatized by it. And I so mean, depending on your child, you can do just a little bit of local, a little snap crackle pop. They're gonna feel a pinch here and there. Yeah, but that child was not bothered TV. by this
0: situation. Yeah. I, I they're see they're the crying. bag of teeth and
1: I'm like, Oh pirates, <laughs> all of your teeth are in that bag. Well baby teeth some baby teeth can be like thumped out. Let's be honest. I don't it's know. Not too he handled it like procedure. nothing happened. That's pretty it impressive. It was though. insane. They do better than you think is my, is my thing. It's like give them an opportunity to show you that they can't tolerate the lesser form right. of sedation, whether it be no sedation, gas or whatever. Nitrous is like, not and again, you have to respect all forms of sedation, and I really like that. That's so true.
2: Yeah, because yeah, nitrous, nitrous can be an iPad, dangerous. You can too. accomplish a lot. But, right? Yeah,
1: but nitrous is great because it's pretty predictable, mm-hmm. and you don't have to necessarily worry about some of those kind of scary after effects. And you Absolutely. can phase it out pretty quick. I mean, it might get a little nauseated or a little headache, yeah. but in mm-hmm. general, you can't get too far gone on nitrous. Yeah. Some so people on, use it for labor.
0: Off. We don't have the hookup where I am, but some people will use nitrous for labor just to ease the... Just to kind of relax mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean,
1: um, it works great for some people. Some people do It doesn't work at all for them, and then some people I think like it a little too much.
0: (laughs) But (laughs) we won't get into that. I'm just (laughs) (laughs) kidding. It all goes back to some
1: people that are like, "Are you sure I don't need any anything? Because I'm happy to come back. I'll have to have nitrous, but I'm like, I I will do it again."
0: (laughs) So we've talked about going all the way to sleep because you're having a deep procedure and you need to be really out of it. We've talked about you breathing on your own. Um, with the LMA, which is cool, but still being out of it. And then this thing called contra sedation where you're sort of out of it. You don't remember it really, but you're not in real time out of it. What's that?
2: Yeah, that's the monitored anesthesia care, so that – Sometimes I refer to it as La La Land. Like, we're just going to send you to Mars for a like little a colonoscopy. while. And, yeah. Yeah, so oftentimes that's with Propofol. So it is mm-hmm. um, sedation through the IV, mm-hmm. but we call it, again, monitored anesthesia care. And it can be anything from mild to moderate to deep. Um, so in mild sedation, the patient can still interact with you, and they can follow directions. Moderate, you're going to have to give them a little more stimulation to arouse them, like mm-hmm. rubbing their arm or saying their name loudly. And then deep sedation— even even if you do those things, um, you can't awaken the patient, and so they may need some interventions like in their airway. Right. So it's a really fine line between all three of those, and recognizing. Uh, I only how asked deep that specifically
0: because I've also had the, the scope up top, and man, I was just eating pizza within two hours afterwards. Life is good, but I've seen a lot of colonoscopies, and like. Plus or minus, most people at some point don't seem super comfortable, but they
2: never remember it when they wake up. Yeah. Yeah. So there's amnesia, which is is absolutely, (laughs) that's the goal really is amnesia. Um, So sometimes even if the patient is moving or we get complaints, the patient's moving, they're waking up. We're like, no, they're not. They're still under an anesthetic. They're not going to remember anything because anesthesia means lack of awareness, Um, And that's, Mm. that's the goal of it is that you're not aware of what's going on and you don't remember what's going on. That
1: freaked me out the first time I saw it. Like I was shadowing an oral surgeon in dental school and I mean, they were doing extractions, IV sedations. I mean, and people were wiggling, crying, blah, blah, blah. Like it was just like. Traumatic to you. It was traumatic to me as someone who had not seen that before. I'm like a third year dental student, second year dental student maybe. And you know it's almost out of body cuz it's like they're there but they're not there and so it just and you know i'm sitting here thinking she this person is suffering like she is really having a hard time with this then then i was there the next day for the follow up and she's like yeah everything was great just complete different person no recollection of anything said it was great It just seemed like two completely different people, and that totally was weird
2: from an outsider perspective and someone who doesn't see that all the time, and so, yeah. Yeah, for sure, and things like Versed can cause amnesia, so often people will get a little of the relaxation medicine before we go back. That's often Versed or medazolam, and that can cause amnesia, and then propofol itself, depending on how much you get, Mm -hmm. um, can cause amnesia, and then, of course, our anesthesia gases, so there are multiple reasons that we can.
1: Yeah, the whole, like, countdown from 10 thing, and then it's like you go 10, And, so then you, and then and then, then you wake, wake up. up and it's done. I mean that that's still really
0: weird. Yeah, it is. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's my so favorite weird. thing. I totally remember a patient and she was going to sleep and they were doing the, you know, cuz either my anesthesiologist will usually say like pick out a good dream and then there you go or, you know, that's like a camp backwards. But this girl sounded like she was falling off a cliff during this situation where that she was like, "Uh
2: <laughs> sometimes they can phonate or That's the vocal it, cords will uh-huh. yes yeah, so it was sometimes my it's a favorite noise. i That's was like so there
0: she <laughs>
1: went it's like the verbal like explanation of like what's actually happening <laughs> like great. in your head um i do I was that like when well then asleep. all right and on that note <laughs> let's begin and she's out yeah. <laughs> great and then people and then there's the whole thing too maybe off topic where you say like
0: Inappropriate things like some Is that inhibition from like with like lower? a Valium or something beforehand. Yeah,
2: a Valium okay. or or Versed beforehand, Versaid. or yeah, just any little cocktail medicine that their vet facility might Instead use. Instead of getting chill, um, somebody got chatty. Yes, Oops. and so. I always say that we're like Vegas. What happens here stays here. Oh, so yeah, when patients girl. are worried, they're going to say something. I'm like, don't worry oh, about it. We'll just be entertained. I bet um, you heard
1: some really good stuff.
2: We have. And then yeah. even physicians, of course, anesthesiologists, we're scared what we're going to say. Right? because, You're like, I don't want to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. What will I say? Especially if we're uh, in a facility with our co loop co-workers and colleagues. We oh, don't know yeah. what we're going to say if we lose our inhibitions. Most commonly, though, anesthesiologists say bossy things like, how's my oxygen level? Right. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, how much fentanyl did I get? So. Oh. <laughs> we just can't get like, off you of better watch my in, your, in your environment. That's <laughs> yeah. right. We can't get rid of yeah. our professionalism, apparently, when we're disinhibited.
1: <laughs> that is I've heard so of funny. people being suggestive. I'm not going to name any names. They might be in my family. I've actually <laughs> heard yeah. of yeah my dad. <laughs> <laughs> be my dad too I he was it. mortified when my mom told him too but like he yeah mm-hmm. we'll, we'll just leave that there yep. and then uh um, my brother <laughs> has had patience to say
2: like will oh. you marry me oh, or like sweet. can we go out or yeah, some like Aww, yes some get so amorous oh yes some get amorous some get flirty some get entertaining and I'm like well the more medicine I give you the hotter I get you know <laughs> you're yeah. just gonna roll with it because they're, they're probably not going to remember it they yeah. probably had the said that causes the amnesia so that's just uh, like a little like fun thing for y'all yeah like. fun part of the like job it's, yeah
1: it's just like a little treat for you guys yes yes <laughs> very
2: rarely will patients say things that really make us raise our eyebrows or get concerned because sometimes yeah. they will admit to things oh afterwards mm. you find out about some drug use you know maybe asking yeah. a pre opic um, interview and they didn't admit to it till after they get some medicines on board. So Y'all. sometimes we get the truth.
0: Admit it to your doctor. Admit it, man. The nitroglycerin. They're not um, the police. And um,
1: Viagra. Viagra thing, yeah. man. Right. Well, it's, it's, you got to admit it. Not Just admit the police. It.
0: And people who do have a tendency to take medications for other ailments or recreationally will need more or different medications to put them out for surgery. Absolutely. Yes. yes.
2: Yeah, we found that people who use marijuana regularly need a remarkably increased dose of Propofol Ooh, often. For real? Ooh, yeah, so fact. like for their colonoscopies or endoscopies, they really need more or just to go to sleep for surgery. So you're not the tell the truth so
0: we that's can do right. the right amount of take What about alcohol?
2: Does alcohol use or is that just depends on the person? It depends on the person. It, mainly if you get to the point of like liver failure, oh, then we yeah. start being concerned and changing up our medicines or being aware of how much we're giving. Um, but overall, just for going off to sleep for a colonoscopy or a generally it. they typically don't require more now the versed may or may not touch them sometimes no. the benzodiazepines mm-hmm. um they're kind of resistant to that but so we always titrate to effect anyway so yeah right most of the time we figure it out it's just with the those with uh, marijuana use we are a little more prepared
0: <laughs> yeah
1: that goes to that intuition thing we were talking about like I bet you see people kind of now and you go like yeah that one's gonna fall hard or like that one's gonna be rough or whatever like I wonder if you yes. kind of get a feel for like just the things that add up together that make someone well, easy to put to sleep or hard to put
0: probably to sleep. multiple different physical factors too from use of you know drugs or alcohol or whatever that are other signs that they use those things that are cueing into you. To begin yeah. With. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Probably like the so. condition
0: of their skin or different things
1: like that. I, th- I can tell you that like size doesn't—at least for me with local—size doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean a darn thing because I can have the biggest, burliest guy, and I mean he goes numb the minute I put the needle in, and then I have little, bitty, tiny little runners and I mean it takes five just to get
2: (laughs) barely enough anesthesia so it's not always size it's just something Mm -hmm. else it's probably just trying to find that nerve particularly like since you don't have any other way to know it's just anatomic landmarks exactly that's how it works for us
1: but then also bone density I think factors in and then sometimes I think it's what they ate or drank or just like if the sun and moon and stars are (laughs) (laughs) aligned or like I'm having a week like last week then it ain't happening on nobody and then the redheaded you know the red red hair thing Mm -hmm.
2: and there are some subsets of patients that they're starting to study that have resistance to local Mm -hmm. anesthetics or delayed onset so they might go to the dentist and then two hours later when they get home their face is numb that one has happened
1: to me mm -hmm. several times and we did not learn about that in dental school
2: yeah yeah so I think it's an evolving science we'll continue to learn about it it'll be interesting if we get to that point because then we'll know for me too a regional anesthetic if they're getting like a wrist surgery mm-hmm. i'll know my nerve block may or may not work on that patient so mm-hmm. it will be good information if we continue to learn like about when it when we
1: start to map out people's genes yeah. and know exactly what they're sensitive to and stuff yeah that's fun i know the Our- future
0: Thank you for listening to Beyond Our Lips. We hope you have been entertained, educated, and inspired.